Welcome to Hunting for Nova Sparkus by Coho Creative. I'm Ellen Craven, and I lead the Strategy, Insights, and Innovation team at Coho Creative. And I'm Lane Rumke, brand strategist at Coho Creative. On this season of Hunting for Nova Sparkus, we will be exploring the effects of COVID-19 across industries. We will be speaking to experts to understand how their lives and potentially jobs have changed during the pandemic. We will also be talking to them about how they believe this pandemic will affect their industry long term. Yeah, we're hoping through these interviews and conversations, we will be able to uncover insights that will help us innovate for a better post-pandemic future. With us today is Bradley White, an experienced marketing professional and brand director in the cannabis industry. He's going to talk with us today about his impressions of the current state of the industry and the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic has had. So with that, I'd like to introduce Brad. And Brad would love for you just to give us a little bit about yourself and, you know, just a little bit about what you do with Green Thumb. Sure. So, yeah, I'm Bradley White. I'm a, a marketer that's been in the consumer goods industry for most of my career. Uh, started my career with Coca-Cola many years ago, uh, then started with Procter & Gamble after that. Was there for about eight years and spent most of my time on healthcare-related businesses. Uh, in 2015, I became involved with some drug policy reform work in Ohio, primarily focused on cannabis legalization in Ohio. Uh, two of the nonprofits I work with were pretty heavily involved with the effort there to get medical legalized in Ohio. And then uh, just over a year ago, I left P&G to join one of the largest uh, multi-state operators in the cannabis industry, Green Thumb in Chicago. Great. And you, it's obviously uh, been a, a road that you've already been on for a while, seeing how you got to where you are today. Really interesting. Do, is there, you know, when you think about the industry, the cannabis industry, and, you know, what, with what's going on with COVID, you know, what can you already see, you know, from a negative and a positive standpoint um, with this industry? So there are a lot of positives, but, but plenty of challenges. You know, in the near term, it's a challenging business environment, but it's that way for everyone. You know, cannabis is just one of those industries that's facing shifts in how, how we work and, quite frankly, how our consumers are shopping. Uh, you know, the cannabis industry is, is forced to adopt quickly, and the, the challenges that we're going through are, are pretty similar to what other folks are dealing with. And the reality is we're just in an environment where, you know, our stores are not necessarily as easy to access as they used to be. And so we're trying to figure out a way to adapt to the existing demand that continues to grow over time. You know, each state in the, in the U.S. that has legalization is really like its own country. There's 11 states that allow adult use. There's 33 that allow medical sales. And the impact of COVID varies pretty widely across those states because the local regulations vary pretty widely. And how they've all responded to the COVID pandemic has, has varied widely as well. You know, many markets are seeing increases and some are struggling. You know, there's, there's markets like Nevada where tourism is at a you know, meaningful decline to their overall sales. And there's markets like Massachusetts where the governor has restricted all adult use sales. And so while over time, all those things will work out for themselves, you know, there is a reality that every single market has experienced its own kind of uh, impact based on how the local regulations are affecting their business. That's, so that's, it's, yeah. So it's, so the complication has it, has it become more so with the pandemic happening or is it really just the same? Well, I'd say, you know, the current challenges also create a long-term opportunity. You know, this, this forced behavior change in how consumers shop opens the door for us to think differently about, you know, what are we doing to address the current market environment, but what do we expect the trends to look like long-term? 
walking into a dispensary isn't as easy as it used to be. You know, most consumers are forced into click and collect and delivery now, whereas in the past, most people walked into a store and made a purchase with an actual individual behind that counter. And that person behind the counter had a huge impact in their actual purchase behavior. This is a, this, what's happening now is a big shift in how most consumers shop the category. Um, and because you're not able to interact with a retail associate, there's a lot more ownership on the individual to make that decision for themselves. It's actually very similar to the European pharmacy market. For example, every purchase of a medication in Germany uh, requires a conversation with a pharmacist. We're very familiar with walking to Walgreens and picking up ibuprofen or NyQuil cold medicine. But in, in Germany and many other countries in Europe, you have to talk to a pharmacist. And so that's actually very similar to how the US cannabis industry has been, where you expect that person behind the counter to know more about the product than you do. If you talk to a pharmacist in Germany and you're like, hey, I'm here to pick up NyQuil, and they're like, well, there's this new thing out there and it's really the best thing for your symptoms, you're going to trust that person behind the counter because they're super well-educated. And that same thing, because it exists in the cannabis industry, um, for the most part in the past, right, allowed the retail associate to play a big role in what people decided. Even if I came in thinking I'm going to buy X and he pointed me towards Y, a lot of the time I ended up going towards the, the direction that, that uh, he offered. And so as a result of this removal of that key purchase on that path to purchase, it's making this transition to click and collect and delivery make us think differently. Do you think that there will be an evolution to like a virtual assistant where you could actually shop virtually and you've actually got, you know, that quote unquote, um, not pharmacist, but professional who can actually still have that impact, but through a virtual lens? Yeah, there, there are certainly companies already starting to you know, do things like online chats to ask questions to someone or picking up the phone and, and calling. But there is just a, a challenge of having enough people to service that. You know, if you think about Amazon's business, if they have a you know, click to talk to someone in the corner button, they would be overwhelmed with the number of people. Obviously, our business is nowhere near the size of Amazon, um, but it does create a challenge for us to figure out how to adapt. Um, you know, in, the, in the long run, more consumers are going to continue to shop online because they are, they're going to have to become more comfortable with this idea of, of buying on their own. But shopping online right now for, for this industry is like 1999 version of e-commerce. Like the, the, the evolution of like, Amazon or Shopify hasn't really hit the, the industry because most people weren't shopping online previously. There's no online payment. Even things like rating and reviews are, are pretty limited. And then the product pages that exist on, on sites like Leafly or Weed Maps that are some of the larger players in the kind of click and collect uh, model don't necessarily have a robust set of information because the manufacturers in the industry haven't had as much of an incentive to build a robust data set for them to work with. And quite frankly, they're not necessarily set up to create scale behind that product information. So all of this is forcing the industry to have to move fast. And in the short term, those pain points are going to exist because these things don't happen overnight. But in the long run, consumers are going to be much more well-suited to be confident in making purchase decisions on their own. Yeah, that makes sense. It's not only, it feels like it's not a, only on the industry standpoint, and the platforms that they're using to sell on. But also as a consumer, this is a category that people aren't as educated in. And so when they do go online, they don't even know what they should be looking for. They don't even know where to begin. So to your point, that education needs to come from somewhere. Yeah, and, and, and the education is tough too, right? Because the federal regulations make it really hard to talk about benefits. 
You can't make health claims. You can't really talk about exactly what the product's going to do for you. I mean, it's also a factor of that the product is going to have a different impact on each person depending on how much they consume or what their prior experience is you know, with the category. And so all of those lead to challenges with people making purchase decisions based on what's going to feel like less information than they would normally have in any other category. When you go to pick up a cold and flu product, they have an FDA set of guidelines that they have to follow, and it allows the consumer to at least understand what this product is for and what they should experience. The same could be said for laundry detergent or, or other categories. The cannabis industry is just well behind because of federal prohibition and the FDA's right. restrictions on what we can't say. So are there any rules and regulations currently when it comes to delivery? It's going to vary widely by state. And so markets like Nevada, originally when the pandemic hit, only allowed delivery. You couldn't pick up at the store. You couldn't walk into a store. And the infrastructure for delivery didn't really exist. Like delivery may have existed in some of these states, but it's not like Uber's network was built overnight. Those things take time. And because so many of the purchases were being done in store, it just takes time for the industry to figure out how to build that infrastructure. And then there's also the question of, am I building the infrastructure for the next three months or how important is this going to be for the long term? So the, the investment choices are always a challenge because you don't know how long some of these things are going to be important. And any company is not going to want to overinvest in short-term opportunity if it doesn't have a long-term benefit. Makes sense. Do you think that, um, I mean, in addition to people stockpiling toilet paper, they were stockpiling alcohol and cannabis. Do you think that um, that type of proactive behavior will continue long-term? Yeah, so there's a lot of interesting data out there regarding stock-up behavior and consumption behavior. There's no doubt that the stock-up behavior that existed with food or other consumables also applied to things like alcohol and cannabis. There's not necessarily a ton of data yet other than people claim data about what it's going to mean for general consumption. For example, there was a company called Brightfield Group that released a report recently that said 57% of cannabis consumers plan to stock up during quarantine. And the industry data from March sales reports that are out there suggest right, that is happening, right? Sales have been up, at least in the markets that haven't had a meaningful retraction on consumers' access to buy the category. That report also said 34% of consumers plan to use more frequently. Now, it'll take time for us to see whether that data is accurate or not. There was also a report out of Quebec, Canada that reported similar data in terms of consumers' interest in stocking up and, and using more frequently. So this, along with just general legalization trends, all point to a very bright future. It just it will take time for us to see how much of this is short-term. Right? Are people consuming more in the short-term because they have more time on their hands? Or is it really a long-term trend that the industry can rely on? Yeah. And the, the quicker it becomes legal across the states, um, you know, obviously that's going to impact it too. So I hate, to, I hate to say it, but I know way too many people who are very vested in cannabis and aren't in a legalized state. <laughs> the hard thing about this industry is that there has been cannabis available forever. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of data that suggests a large percentage of sales still occur outside of the legal industry, even in markets where it is completely legal, like California. And there's a number of factors that drive that, whether it's taxes or whatever else. And so there is a question about, you know, as the markets become more like California or Colorado or Illinois, what percent of those sales will come through legal channels? Obviously, as an industry, 
you know, everyone wants it to come through legal channels. There's just the reality of, of the environment that we're in that, that in the near term, we don't necessarily know what impact this is going to have on, on where those sales happen. So then I'm guessing it's also hard to say what the actual market size is because you can't account for the illegal transactions. There are plenty of reports out there that claim they know it. And certainly it's a big factor, I'm sure, in how some people think about what the size of the opportunity is. Um, the good thing is that there is plenty of upside in, in, you know, in, in the near term. Got it. Exciting, fast-paced industry. Yeah. <laughs> so thinking about the future, you know, has, has, has the COVID-19 made you think differently about how to innovate long-term? For the most part, it's, it's thinking differently about where, where do I need to spend my time and energy to grow my business. You know, you know, in-store and field marketing have been such a big part of the category because federal prohibition has prevented us from doing things like spending money on Facebook or other traditional ad channels. So we have to rely on the organic things that we can control. And so as a result of this change of people thinking about going to websites like Leafly or Weedmaps or doing more online research, the investment in digital needs to look different. You know, we're certainly not in a place where like we can invest in digital, but we certainly can think about what does our what do brands need to look like on websites like Leafly or Weedmaps so that as you're down that path to purchase that looks a little bit different than it did previously, the products show up in a way that you feel like it's familiar. Right. The last thing you want to do, do is go to an e-commerce page and see a description of a product that doesn't really tell you what it is and an image that looks outdated or looks like it came out of the garage. And so the investment in digital just needs to continue over time as that becomes a bigger part of you know, people's path to purchase. The hard part is we don't necessarily know like, what is the ROI on those things. It's a lot easier to measure a Facebook ad spend and the click-through rate and what does that mean for sales. But when you're in an environment like we're in, there's a lot of questions about, you know, where is the right place to invest money? But there's no doubt in my mind that digital is going to be more and more important with the trends that we're seeing in consumer behavior. So that that totally makes sense. From a branding standpoint, and you know, you came out of PNG, I came out of PNG, I've had this is how to build a brand into your, you know, ingrained in my head for a very long time. Now that you're working in cannabis, has that like the the approach to building a brand obviously outside of the the marketing touch points do you think about that differently because of this industry and how fast paced it is and how you know you've got all these little tiny brands all over the place and then you have some great big brands that you know have acquired 20 other brands do you think differently from a branding standpoint than you would have at P&G I just think the way to build brands looks different right now. And that doesn't mean brands don't matter. Brands absolutely matter. People want to buy things that they trust, but there's probably varying levels of what defines trust for this category relative to other categories. I always look at Tide as a good example. Like there are many ways to clean your clothes and Tide is probably, if not the most expensive way to go do it, but yet they're the number one product out there. And they're the number one product out there because they're probably the best way to clean your clothes. Right? They probably clean your clothes better than everyone else. And I'm probably a little bit biased because I was inside of P&G. Um, but I recognize the value of brands and consumers are looking for you know, reliable, consistent experiences regardless of the category. And so the industry as a whole is going to have to do the exact same thing of give people something they can trust. And brands are a great way to do that. Do you think that you know, and I say in the future, do you, and maybe it's the near future, there's kind of that 
that blending of I, I go into the store and I'm comfortable with my purchase because there's this person behind the counter helping me make that purchase versus becoming loyal to a specific brand. And like, I, like, when do you think that, or maybe it's already happening and I just, I, I don't know because I'm not in a legal state where it becomes more about, I trust this brand, you know, they have the products that I want. So I'm going to keep going back to them versus, you know, choosing across, you know, 10 or 15 brands. Yeah, I think it depends on what you're looking for, right? There are examples of people shopping this category similar to craft brew, where you're looking for that kind of next great brew from that local place or that new, you know, uh, blend they just put out there. Same thing could be said for the wine industry or the healthcare industry. Like if you're going to go out and you're going to go um, buy a product for some type of topical relief and it works for you, the odds of you changing your behavior are pretty low because once you find something that's relieving your symptoms, you're gonna stick with it unless something changes. That's not necessarily the, the same for beer, where if I go try a beer and I enjoy it, I may try that beer again, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not willing to try the next thing. So there's a lot of corollaries that the industry needs to learn, looking at beer, wine, and just general healthcare as a way to think about it because not every brand is going to serve the same consumer. And therefore, the way that they need to talk to those consumers is going to be meaningfully different. Right. Well, and not every category can go from recreational to mental health either, which is an interesting spin for this category. Lane, what kind of questions do you have? I've been taking over the conversation. No, it's been good. I was wondering if you have observed any maybe consumer mind shifts or behavior shifts during this time of the pandemic or recently at all that you think um, plays in favor for your industry? Yeah, I don't think I've been close enough to a lot of that to, to provide a good context as to what that shift looks like. It's all right. So I've been reading recently that a lot of cannabis retailers have actually been able to stay open as essential businesses. And I know you mentioned that um, pickup has not really been allowed, but I was wondering if where you are, if you guys were able to stay open as an essential business and what you guys, what you think that means for the industry, if that's going to change connotation around uh, this industry. Yeah, so each state has set their own rules around cannabis being considered an essential business. So in some markets, you're able to continue to buy either by picking up or delivery. But there are markets like Massachusetts, which have said the only things that are allowed are medical sales and the adult use sales have been scaled back. And so while technically Massachusetts is considered you know, medically an essential business, the vast majority of the people that were buying via like an adult use channel can't participate. So it's, it's a great sign that a lot of the state governments have determined that cannabis businesses are essential. And it's a very positive thing for the long term of the industry to be seen that way, because I don't think anyone would have envisioned that being the case years ago. The cannabis of all things would be considered essential, especially in a federally you know, prohibitive environment. Um, but, you know, for the long run, you know, all of these things point to, you know, especially with adult use bills on the ballot in a couple states in November and other states having legalization bills pending. All of this trend points to a very positive direction in the long term. I'm trying to think if there's something else we want to talk, because I think we've hit on all of our questions. You are, you're very informative. Thank you. Yes, you like answered all my questions so matter-of-factly and so quickly. It was awesome. 
Is there something that you want to make sure you would love to see carry over? So let's pretend like the pandemic is over. We have a a cure. Everybody's back to normal to whatever that normal is. Is there something that you hope that actually carries over and and helps to influence the cannabis industry in terms of getting to legalization across all the states? There's a few things. I mean, one is definitely the general continued trend of acceptance, right? The fact that people can open up the newspaper and read the fact that cannabis is an essential business certainly points to changing more consumers' minds that this is an okay place uh, to exist and to shop. And by no means are we expecting that everyone's going to accept that cannabis legalization is right. There's always going to be a set of consumers that find that this isn't right for them. But for the most part, right, we feel like, or I feel like, you know, a lot of these trends that we're seeing around essential businesses is, is, is a good thing for people's uh, mindsets to shift. The other piece is that opening up the door to more channels to shop. I think one of the biggest challenges of walking into a store is that often you're like, am I going to see what I want, right? I, there's no real good ability to do research before I walk into a store. So a lot of the investment that I expect to happen in digital are going to make it a lot easier for people to shop in the long run. That's great. I mean, I didn't even connect the essential piece because you're right. People are seeing those stores as, as being essential. So I, I think that's actually something really interesting that will, will be, uh, I would like to see how that plays out long term to really change people's perceptions. So I'm good. I mean, I thought that was that was fabulous. You are you have provided us with a lot of, of great thinking and a lot of insight. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Yeah, you too. If hunting for Nova Spark has tapped into your curiosity or sparked any new thinking, check us out and get in touch with us at cohocreative.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Coho Creative. 